Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose, noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hello, Don. And our correspondent, Allison Trowbridge. Howdy, Don. Allie, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back. You are calling in from New York City today. I am. I forget where I am at the moment. I had to just look outside. You were London yesterday or two days ago? France, actually. I saw you in France. I know you I were, know. <laughs> we sound like we sound like really entitled people right now. So I'm wondering actually if we should do this interview in French. What do you think? I can do uh Merci, not to be confused with Merci. <laughs> I learned that's this last trip to France I figured out the meow it's like a meow meow Merci. Merci. So it's a very cat sound. Merci. That's it. That's like and I can do Cibou play. This is how you're keeping the romance alive with Betsy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thankfully, she loves me, even though I don't oh, speak honey, very good French. Oh, honey, Phil plate. <laughs> <laughs> um, Betsy and I flew. I had to do a thing in London, so we went to France, and we were able to chalk off our bucket list the French Open. We did one day at the French Open, and I was dying to have my podcast equipment to actually do a the business of the French Open. Yeah. Oh, that would have been cool. It was fascinating. It was a wonderfully well done event. And anyway, you happened to be there. Yes, I was in Europe for my brother's wedding. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 You and Jonathan Merritt. Went, yes. Yeah. Which sounded incredible. In Spain, everybody stays up till 4 a.m. at weddings. So we were really like gearing ourselves up. Which is unbelievably hard to do with jet, <laughs> jet lag. lag. Oh, my God. With jet lag, you're wanting to go to bed at 730. Well, actually, no, going to Europe, the benefit is like you just keep your time zone a lot later. So we're getting up at like 11 a.m., so that we can stay up till 4 a.m. It's a whole different strategy. Betsy and I's strategy is to, we stay up about six hours and then we knock out at 7.30 and the next day we're fine if we go to France or, or something like that, which we don't do very often. <laughs> all your, yeah. all your yeah. France trips when that I'm, you make all yeah, the time. When I'm at my yeah. house in France, <laughs> yeah. this is how that works. You took us to the Hemingway Bar at the Ritz-Carlton. I know. How cool was that? It was very cool. And JJ, they have a $1,500 cocktail how many I mean, did you ones, get <laughs> how many did you get me? i got the eight dollar <laughs> yeah. the eight dollar version <laughs> and the uh with the cheap liquor and we got the hot dogs we got the plate of then oh, they were good hot dogs delicious but they do have a 1500 when in rome which is yeah. the most american thing to get to paris I was and then say, we see yeah. hot dogs on the menu that are supposed to be as good as a ballpark and, we're and like, sliders That's what we they literally order. had sliders <laughs> I even thought about the business strategy of the $1,500 cocktail because who cares if you sell it? Everybody's going to talk about it when they get back yeah. and record their podcast. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what's yeah. happening now. We have just promoted the Hemingway Bar. Right. And it's getting into a little bit of a network effect. It's getting into a network effect, which is the point of today's. Okay. So that was that for I am Way teaching, I am teaching you guys how to do transitions. Yeah. <laughs> that transition that was, was a slam dunk. Masterful. The connections were obvious. Masterful. It's amazing. French how open unscripted hot dogs. Speaking of hot dogs. <laughs> Speaking French, French open, yeah. uh, time zone changes, hot dogs, $1,500 cocktail. Network, network effect. effect. Network effect. <laughs> okay, so, so tie this in. How does this, what does this have to do with a network effect? So I did a fascinating interview with Gina Bianchini, who's the founder of Mighty Networks. Previously, she was the co-founder of Ning with Mark Andreessen, one of the most famous venture capitalists in Silicon Valley. And that was a competitor, you were telling us, to Facebook. Yeah, Facebook that was out. a competitor to Facebook. So Gina has been in the space of networks and social media and creating online digital communities longer than we were even talking about 
online communities. We really dig into what does it mean in your business and in your work to create a community and to create a network effect. So if you actually think about this concept of network effects, we can look back at something like, say, the fax machine, where it becomes more valuable. I get a fax machine. Well, then I want JJ to get a fax machine because it's only valuable to me. Literally, somebody has to buy the product in order to enter into the network. But then it becomes more valuable the more people use it. So something like Facebook or Twitter, the more people that get on the platform, the more valuable it becomes, and then the more people get on the platform. So you create this virtuous cycle. She talked about what elements need to be in the software in order to create community. She go there? Yeah, she does. She does. That's cool. Well, and it's super fascinating because I think it's so many of us as business leaders don't automatically think network effect when we're developing a company, but it's such an essential piece to create a community around whatever product or service you're offering. Like even within StoryBrand, there's a community around the services that StoryBrand is offering. And that community creates more value the more that people are engaging with it. We found that with our guide program. We have certified marketing freelancers. And we just open up Slack and open up Facebook and give them a chance to connect. We do retreats yes. where they're able to connect. And I'm always shocked of like how much the value is. Oh, yeah. you guys just talk to each other. Yeah. And of course, we bring a lot to the table, but they love that aspect of it. There's something really special about it. Yeah. Gina Bianchini, she is CEO of Mighty Networks. Where'd you talk to her? Were you in LA? I was in San Francisco. So I did jump up there for work for a couple of days. And Gina is someone who I've just had immense respect and admiration for consider her a mentor. Were you guys friends before? Yeah. Yeah, I met her around the time when she started Mighty Networks and have just been so incredibly amazed, inspired by what she's built. Um, If you remember when Sheryl Sandberg built Lean In Networks, Uh she built it using Mighty Networks instead of Facebook, actually. So it's a very powerful platform, especially if you're a business leader wanting to develop networks and have networks within networks and be able to speak to a community. Gina's product and services are absolutely phenomenal for that. It's amazing. We really aren't networked out. Like we have Facebook, but then you would think if somebody came to a venture capital firm with an idea like Slack, they would probably say, well, you know, Facebook's already covering and yet Slack took off. That's such a great point. There are still other ways of angling to reach a a critical mass in, in creating a network. I don't want to wait any longer. She sounds fascinating. It was so good. I love this interview. I love the way Gina thinks. Here's my interview with Gina Bianchini. Gina, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for being on. I am excited to have Gina here for one reason, because... I feel so much smarter every time I talk to you. It's just like my brain's just on fire. I just love it. And I just love the work that you do and your history in building social networks. So I'm excited for our audience to get to learn from you today. So tell me a little bit about your history of working on social networks, because you came into the space long before we were all on Facebook. Yes. So I have always had a love affair with small communities and interest-based communities. So back in 2004, I started a online social platform called Ning, which gave people a way to create their own social networks. And our pitch was your own social network for anything. And 
people really took us up on that promise from people who collected Pez dispensers to offbeat brides to people with type 1 diabetes to people with much more narrowly defined and unique medical conditions to all the educators who could come online Mm. for the first time. And so super, super exciting. And I caught the bug. I caught the bug of how do we unlock opportunities for entrepreneurs, for online business owners, for new not-for-profits, for political advocates and organizers, and everybody in between to have a new kind of business that they could build or a new kind of advocacy organization or just grassroots community that at its core brought people together around the thing that was most important to them or the hobbies that they loved. And I ran Ning until 2010. And at that point in time, we had 3 million Ning networks created on a base of 300,000 that were active and reached nearly 100 million people around the world. 40% of our traffic was in the US, 60% was global. And we accidentally fell into the fact that all of these things were businesses. They were, you know, entrepreneurs who were able to take this brand new community that they had built and turn it into something super special. The really cool thing about it was, you know, during that period of time, I don't know if you remember, for the first time in history, people were willing to upload their address books and invite. Hmm. It was free acquisition yeah, um, and free viral user growth and member growth. And what got created out of that was absolutely spectacular. So fast forward, in 2011, 2012, I started Mighty Networks, really to take that same idea that we had at Ning and bring it into a modern era, mobile, Mm. uh, with the business model sort of associated and really sort of built in. And where we've honed in with Mighty Networks is – there's something in technology called a network effect. It's, you know, where yeah, yeah, something yeah. gets Explain more that. valuable. So a network effect is a phenomenon by which something gets more valuable the more people who use it. So okay. it started with the telephone. You know, the more people who use a telephone, the more valuable the telephone gets. Great example. Um, the internet, the more people who come online, the more valuable coming online actually gets eBay, the more people Mm. who would buy on eBay, the more sellers it attracted, the more sellers it attracted, the more people who showed up to buy. Obviously, Facebook, LinkedIn, Airbnb, all three examples Mm. of a network effect, meaning that they get more valuable the more people who use them. The thing about network effects is that most people in 2018, certainly in Silicon Valley, assume that you can only have a network effect if one, you have a computer science degree, and two, you have 100 million users or more. And the reality is that every single network effect gets started with a very narrow focus. So just taking the case of Facebook, Facebook was valuable from day one to the other people who were in that dorm. Yeah. Well, and, and then that's, on where, that that's where I first got onto right. it was in my freshman year mm-hmm. in a dorm connecting with a friend from high school at a nearby college. It was this college thing that we used. And then I remember I was an RA my sophomore year and the girls that were in the dorm started sharing their photos and I started getting tagged in these pictures. And I was like, oh, I can upload photos to this thing. And as people, no one needs 2 billion people using the same service Hmm. for it to have been valuable to you at that point in time. Hmm. Which means that there can actually be 
a million social networks, not just one. Interesting. Which also means that if there are a million social networks, not just one, that that opens opportunities for a million new brands and a million new entrepreneurs and a million new online business owners and not-for-profits or political movements. It does not mean that you have to do all of it in one centrally controlled blue and white world. Interesting. So what would it mean for a brand or a small business owner to begin to think about creating network effects within that company or for their users? Yeah. So here's what's really cool. It's all about do the people that you serve have a motivation to talk and build relationships with each other? Can they actually be useful to each other? Can Mm. they actually be valuable to each other? And in many, many cases, the answer is a resounding yes. So for example, if you have a professional community that might be on, you know, a WordPress website today where you are trying to build an audience around, let's say, craft hairdressing. I have a good example (laughs) of that because we have an amazing professional network called Hairbrained on Mighty Networks. If you think about it, you're actually working really, really hard if you have a WordPress site because you have to post to it all the time. Yeah. Maybe, fingers crossed, people are commenting, but there's really no way to meet anybody there. Yeah. And you are working so much harder than the alternative, which is you create a meetup or the virtual equivalent of a meetup or a party or a conference where the whole point is that you have created the conditions by which people are able to meet and build relationships with each other. So a Mighty Network, we sort of have a greatest hits of how people are and why people are motivated, I should say, why people are motivated to connect with other people and build a network effect around an interest, a passion, a goal, mm. a medical condition, a hobby, a subculture that you know you and I have never heard of, is one, to meet you know hundreds, thousands, or millions of people just like us, to share stories, experiences, and ideas, typically not advice, actually. Advice shuts conversations down where oh, stories and experiences and ideas dramatically expand. And it's one of the things that... It's not a software thing. It's a conversation thing. So if you just think about how to create a really vibrant network effect, it's, again, encouraging people and creating the conditions by which they share stories, experiences, and ideas, not Mm. advice. Three, get answers to questions that don't have easy and obvious answers, namely the things you can't Google. Oh, Um, that's a good one. And four, find inspiration every day. So when you have those as, well, like, my customers are all small business owners, or I have a business where I'm a yoga instructor. We have an amazing yoga instructor who's built a 46,000 person network that they all went through a 30 day yoga journey in January together. That was just absolutely incredible because when you start to think about the things you can set up and then let your, your members, your clients, your fans, your followers, meet and build relationships with each other, this might just give a a little bit more away about how social I am. It's like you get to like get the party started and then go upstairs at eight o'clock and go to bed. (laughs) That's my my methodology. I used to do it like 11, but if there were still people over, I'd come down in my pajamas. If if everybody's having a great time without you. (laughs) Oh yeah, I'll go to bed. Exactly. I will totally go to bed. It is less work for greater rewards. Yeah. And you actually are building more client and customer and brand loyalty because of the relationships they're building with each other. Mm. 
And so, you know, what's not to love about that? Yeah. <laughs> For that's, any a, that's actually such a great analogy, whether you're thinking of it as as the party or even why when you have a conference and bring people together, it may be the same content, but there's something around them connecting with each other. I think about with StoryBrand, we just had a, I got to go to one of the StoryBrand two-day conferences and it's all of these business leaders connecting with each other, talking to each other, learning from one another. It's more than just this single, let us tell you how to do it. It's the community being built. We learn through stories and we learn not just by hearing stories, but by the actual interaction where I get to share my part of it and you are sharing your part of it. And that is where the magic happens. That has been how we have established values and culture for, you know, thousands, thousands of years. years. Yeah. So even this notion of like a keynote, you know, where it's like you have to prepare multiple days to like give a 20-minute keynote. And is that keynote, especially like I've looked out in the audience sometimes, and maybe it's just because I'm a boring speaker, but like everybody's on their phone. It's like, well, why are we all here? Like, wouldn't it be so much better <laughs> if like we were all talking to each other yeah. and that the people who have the same types of challenges or the same types of opportunities or the same member category, or they're from the same place, if they can find each other and make connections that wouldn't otherwise happen instead of like that awkward conversation over the buffet lunch at a conference that hopefully yeah. you meet somebody cool, I think we would all be learning faster, having idea collisions, and really, I would say, build much cooler things and experiences for the people who are most important to us, our customers, our clients, our fans, followers, our members, our friends, our family, than certainly the way that we've sort of evolved into a business culture of, I talk out at you, you follow me, hmm. and my followers aren't meeting and building relationships with each other. It's broadcasting versus community. Yeah. I know this may shock you at this point. <laughs> I am squarely and passionately on the side of community, not because community has come to mean so many different things to so many different people, which is why I'm so precise in talking about a network effect. Yeah. Because if you have a website that is a static website that you've built on WordPress or Squarespace or Wix or any of the others – it does not get more valuable the more people who come to your website. An email list actually does not get more valuable mm. to any of the members or the people who are on your email list the more people who join your email list. Your online store does not get more valuable the more people who buy from your online store other than perhaps economies of scale. Or even if you're teaching an online course or selling you know, products or services, an online course does not get more valuable the more people who take it unless they actually have a way to meet each other. Hmm. So this notion that all of these things that kind of, you know, people are like, oh, the comments, that's where, or on my page or in a group on a general one-size-fits-all platform, these are not a network effect. And I just think it's fascinating that, you know, for as much of education and, and sort of students of business that now exist, myself being absolutely one of them, we're not having a lot of conversations that say fundamentally the most important asset any brand can have is a network effect, such mm. as it gets more valuable to the people who use it, the more people who join, the more people who participate. 
So network effect is an area where I think a lot of business leaders don't naturally, I mean, we think about building a brand, we think about building a customer base, we think about building an audience. Yes, exactly. We think about building an audience, but to your point, building an audience is me talking at a group of people. So do you think every business needs to have this network effect mindset? Yes. Really? Well, think about it. Okay. Networks have all been killing audience businesses over the last 10 years. BuzzFeed and Facebook were launched within a year of each other. Facebook is now worth, I think the technical term is a zillion dollars. <laughs> yes. And Mathematically. Uh, yeah, yeah. And BuzzFeed's not. It's worth about $3 billion, and some would actually argue that that's overpriced. That's the difference between an audience business and a network effect. Great a network example. effect gets more valuable the more people use it. The reason I don't think we are talking about network effects as often or as regularly as we should be as brand builders and entrepreneurs is that there is this fundamental assumption that it's really, really hard and you can only have a network effect if you have 100 million people. Hmm. It's simply not true. That is the original myth and the original lie of a network effect. And think about it. It serves people extraordinarily well who have built them and have locked you into their network or a belief that you are locked into their network. And so there's not a lot of motivation to call out the lie, to basically say the emperor has no clothes. Mm. That if you can actually bring together your most important people around an interest, a passion, a goal, a purpose, and that you can create an innovative environment with the goal of them meeting and building meaningful relationships with each other, not just listening to you. You're the curator, you're the convener as the brand, but those relationships are the ultimate value, the ultimate asset that you have. It's so much more scalable. Hmm. Like we want to talk about scalability and you know value and all the things that we should be talking about yes, as every business yes. owner wants that. That's how you get it. Huh. It doesn't come from you having to do the work to continue to expand your audience and feed the beast. Hmm. The only people that are really win in this world of feeding the beast are sort of the established players. Your users, you know, your followers, your audience doesn't actually benefit that much from it because they're actually waiting for you to have the next great idea, which is a tremendous amount of pressure. Yeah. Whereas if you are the convener hmm. of people who are craft hairdressers or people who are navigating life with type 1 diabetes or online small business owners who are ready to take their brand to the next level or people who believe in your lifestyle brand or your methodology or approach – they want to meet other people. It's why folks pay you know, a lot of money to go to a retreat or go to a conference. So how do you turn that into the core value proposition of your brand that you are building? And I would argue if you look at things like new and emerging brands like Glossier or House or Nextdoor, some of these others, yeah. they have done this extraordinarily yeah, well and done it, point. done it in vertical markets. Yeah, and, like and that's cosmetics. Yeah. No one would think necessarily of cosmetics being an industry where you're going to have network effects, and yet it's hugely valuable. Yes. We'll be right back with the rest of Allison's interview with Gina Biancini in just a moment. 
Listen, if you are a marketing mind, that is, if you create websites for people, if you like to write email copy, if you help people come up with their elevator pitches, if you are a marketing expert and have at least two years of marketing experience, really helping people get an enormous return on their investment. Not one of these marketing people who create websites for people that are really pretty and don't work and don't make them any money. If you are a marketing mind, a marketing professional that goes to sleep worrying about your client's business more than your own, you are eligible to become a story brand guide. That is, you can attend four days of training with me and my team, and we will teach you how to turn the story brand framework into marketing collateral that works for your clients. Not only that, but we will send clients your way through our directory at clarifyyourmessage.com. If you want to become a story brand guide, go to storybrand.com slash guide. That is storybrand.com slash guide. Remember, you need at least two years experience and you already know what you're doing, but you really want to incorporate the story brand framework and you really want to help your clients make a lot of money. If that's you, go to storybrand.com slash guide. Apply today. We want to talk with you. Storybrand.com slash guide. How much do you think the online community needs to facilitate offline community? I think it totally depends. Okay. I love something we've done in a mighty network, which is we surface members who are near each other such that you can actually meet up and you can have, first of all, I think location actually provides a level of intimacy, instant trust. It's like when you're traveling in a foreign country and you meet somebody from the United States, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're both from the United States. This is like, yes, we have so yes, much in yes, common. Yeah. Even though the United States is actually quite, quite big. big. Yeah. So I think location adds a level of trust. I think it adds a level of opportunity, but I do not believe that real life physical relationships are 100% better than something that you can create online or in a virtual space. I think that you can create meaningful connections and relationships when you build trust in an online community. And when the focus is on how are we creating the conditions by which people can build real relationships with each other, as opposed to, I need to get as many people as I possibly can to see a piece of content for 1.7 seconds because that's what counts as a view, or I need to get them to mm. share, or I need to get them to like something. Those are not meaningful connections. Hmm. Speaking of, let's talk about Facebook for a second. Sure. How has Facebook changed the game over the last, say, five to 10 years? And how do you see that shift kind of moving over the next decade? Yeah. So I think that the thing about Facebook, they continued to change the rules on folks in ways that have benefited Facebook and not necessarily benefited whether it's brands who have built brands on Facebook, mm. whether it's small business owners and entrepreneurs who have played by the rules of the game that Facebook has laid out, or even if it's us as users of Facebook. So at the very beginning, it's upload your address book and invite. And if you do that, you can start to make connections and reconnect with people mm. that are long lost friends or that you, you know, who has not stalked their high school, <laughs> your exes, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend <laughs> on, on Facebook. 
we built Facebook. Hmm. Facebook was built by our address books, hmm. our connections. And they did a phenomenal job at it and still do. The challenge is that then they basically said, as brands started to come online, they said, hey, if you want to build your brand on Facebook, here's the beautiful thing. You'll pay to get likes. But once you get a like, they're yours. You'll have this beautiful organic relationship with the fans and followers that you collect on Facebook. You'll be able to build a relationship. And more importantly, you'll be able to find ways to build relationships between them. So this was like, a, there was an era that there was like three or four different companies that were all building plugins for Facebook pages because brands were essentially going to have mini websites mm. on Facebook as Facebook pages. I remember that. So... Brands got super excited and they marketed Facebook. Remember how for many, many years, and even actually still today, brands would actually put Facebook's- oh, The and little logo. The little logos. Yeah. So Yeah. I remember the, seeing that on the billboard for the first time. Right. And saying that's brilliant. That's Facebook's brilliant getting free for marketing. Facebook and, and Twitter. Yeah. I'm not sure it did anything for the brands. Yeah. Other than to validate Facebook and Twitter. The next chapter was to go back to those brands and say, guess what? Unfortunately, all those people that you spent money, you spent money with us acquiring those likes, they don't want to see you all the time. So we're going to remove all those plugins from your Facebook page and not let you necessarily do that. We're going to push you into the newsfeed because we're going to push everything into the newsfeed. And from here on out, you'll only be able organically to reach a fraction of those people. And you will now have to pay mm. every time you want to reach more than, say, 1% to 2% of those fans that you acquired. Hmm. That's a very different deal. Yeah. Very different deal. And at that point, you know, many people had shuttered their websites. They had stopped investing in things that they were building out themselves because of all the advertising that had been done by all the brands to, say, go to Facebook – all the people who are on Facebook, they're all based on our contacts, you know, as, as yeah. users. And then the next thing was even for us. So even for us, Facebook decided that they knew better in terms of what you wanted to see that your friends posted. And so we have these really unwieldy and unknown algorithms that sit between you and your friends that sit between your brand and the people you paid who raised their hand and said, I actually want to know and what you're doing. Yeah. yeah, I want to know. In all of these things, when a feed is whizzing by and the whole goal is to share and to view and to like, it's very difficult to create those kinds of connections between people. When was the last time you met somebody else who loved the same brand you love? Hmm. Other than to say, somebody else likes this page. It's become super transactional. So I actually think, you know, certainly the most recent controversies, the challenge Facebook has is this data sharing, this way that they operate, it's a feature, not a bug. It is how it is designed to operate. And unfortunately, with a centralized system, just like centralized and centrally designed systems of the past, governments and otherwise, 
they don't work as well as something that is open and allows for different entrepreneurs to build different things and allows for more people to essentially own their contacts again, hmm. take responsibility, but also like it's a super important asset that we all have. Yeah, it is. So I think what we are seeing right now is the culmination of all of us asking ourselves the question, how did we get here hmm. and where do we want to go? And I think the world that is much more interesting, much richer, much more innovative, and I would actually argue one with significantly more opportunities for brands, for entrepreneurs, for online business owners, for organizers, is one that is distributed, that has a million different network effects, brands and businesses, mm. that is much more open, that allows us to have greater control between different communities that we want to be a part of. You know, people are not meant to live in a single uniform two billion person community. This notion is antithetical to who we are as people. Mm. If anything, what we want is to have different facets of ourselves and our personalities. The person we are in the context of being a mother or a sister or a daughter is very different than the one that we want when we are, you know, at Burning Man. And the joy of life and the joy of discovering new brands and new experiences and new moments is that unique niche and hook that you offer as an entrepreneur or a brand. And so if we strip those things out and we say we're going to instead spend our entire online lives in you know, a single feed that is one size fits all with a algorithm that doesn't seem to be that good that's not a world I want to live in. Mm. And I don't think it's one that reflects our best humanity, our best connections, our best way of interacting with people, at the ways that we learn, the ways that we self-express, and the ways that we build. And that's the future that I think every, it's not going to be up to governments, it's going to be up to each and every one of us and where and how we choose to spend our time share our connections, and invest in relationships. And we think Mighty Networks is certainly a part of this, but there are trends much bigger than what we are doing alone, whether that is, you know, the world of decentralized, you know, projects and blockchain. Yeah. And, we know, recently had Peter Smith from Blockchain on the show. Exactly. Yes. It's all about decentralization. Exactly. That's a more interesting world. Technology, culture, politics, economics, bends towards decentralization. Mm. It bends towards the unique, the niche, the long tail. And I think if anything, if I had a crystal ball in front of me and we look out three to five to 10 years, we are going to see a renaissance in all the different ways that we can express ourselves and meet and make new connections because of the work of entrepreneurs and marketers and brands creating the conditions by which we can have different network effects for different things that we do and things we participate in. And I think that the value for each of us is exciting. It's not scary. Yeah. But we're also going to have to collectively roll up our sleeves and decide that we don't want a future that looks scary and is about media manipulation and 
the hackability of centralized systems and centralized gatekeepers. Also a great point. Yeah, it's a really interesting time in history. It's I think it's really fun to be alive, but there's so many existential threats, so to speak, around these kind of centralized structures. Zooming into what you're building at Mighty Networks, what is the opportunity for a small business leader that wants to work on network effects, that wants to build a community around their company or their brand or whatever service they're providing? Where do they begin? And is there an opportunity for them to use the tool that you've built? Yes and yes. Um, (laughs) So first and foremost, what's beautiful is it's not about bringing people together around your brand. It's first and foremost enabling relationships to happen between them because of the value that your brand provides. That's a really important distinction, it's actually. Super, like, so it's about their identity, not what you're trying to accomplish as a brand builder or as a marketer. Make the customer the hero. Make the customer the hero and connect your heroes to each other. That's so good. Um, like in the hero's journey, like the part where it's like the hero like gets all of his peeps together and he's like got like the elf and the- His tribe. His tribe. He's got like yes. an elf. He's got like, <laughs> you know- the montage scene. Yes, it's like yes, always yes, yes. the montage scene yes. at the beginning where it's like we get everybody together. Your community is your hero getting together his tribe or mm. her tribe. So to get started, what's beautiful around community building and what I believe is is super important, obviously the software. So you know we have at Mighty Networks a way to have a network effect at the core of everything you do. So all the features you would expect from a community. So members profiles, reputation, direct messaging, articles in media, you know, top members, invitations, ambassador program for member referrals and things along those lines, events, polls and questions, posts. And we also have groups within the network. So essentially think about them as subgroups. That's one thing if you're just building one community and there's not topics and groups because we also have topics, which is essentially um, the same as channels on other services. Then the other thing that we do on a Mighty Network is we also surface people to each other, independent of like what you do as a host. So you don't have to, for example, make introductions between people because the software is doing that by location, by member category, and by topics. Unfortunately, on platforms where your advertising targeting is happening by location, by member category, and by topics, they're not very motivated to have those kinds of connections and that self-organizing dynamic in place which is totally understandable. We also have the ability to run member subscriptions directly in your Mighty Network. So all of that's awesome and beautiful. And then we're about to launch shortly online courses as well. It's been our number one requested feature for the last year. Oh, I love that. What would that look like? Take an online course that exists on you know other platforms out there, and there's many of them, as I've learned. <laughs> and instead of thinking about it as, you know, come for the course, stay for the community that you are then desperately trying to get into, you know, a Facebook group, for example, it's all in one place. Mm. So you can come for the community, stay for the course, or come for the course, stay for the community, all in one place because we start with a network effect. And then we're layering on things to do like articles and media and events and an online course or multiple online courses. And then we let you charge for it. So it's it's all kind of in one. The alternative would really probably be, you know, using different things from different places and competing on a Facebook group just to keep people's attention. And that's one of the reasons why our customers, we call them hosts, come to us is because they're like just the distractions and clutter for my customers, my clients, my students, the people who rely on me to convene them. It's just too much. Yeah. 
So that's what we offer as a product. And then we have a more expensive versions for APIs that you can use and have between, you know, email lists and other, your website and other places. And then we also offer the option to have your own branded apps. So instead of going out and doing custom mm. development on iOS or Android, you can actually put it under your developer account in iOS on Android. We do it in the Play Store. And you now have the ability to market your apps directly in addition to having a branded website as well. So it's oh, wow. all sort of, we have a product that is designed to put your brand first. Mm. I personally, I think it's just an idiosyncrasy. I mean, I hate the term white label, so I don't use it. It's branded. The other thing that we've done that's pretty unique is by being a software as a service company, we'll give you all of the data on your members. We want you to have the same access to your members that you would have if you built the site out yourself. That's actually pretty revolutionary. And we're obviously having a lot of conversations as a culture, as a society right now around data and abuse of data. So the fact that you allow each community to have their own data is a pretty incredible thing. Yes. And it's in part because we exist to make our customers, our hosts, wildly successful because we believe that the future will have a million network effect brands and businesses that will be run by individual entrepreneurs and brands and businesses. And when that happens, the world will be more interesting. Hmm. More people will have more valuable relationships because there will be context to those relationships. And if we do this right, it means more people get a chance to create something really valuable for people, which I don't know about you, but you don't do the work that you do without that being the high that you're chasing. Absolutely. What are you most excited about right now? We are a masterclass at Mighty Networks in having a mission, deciding that it is important no matter what is happening elsewhere, like how the winds of change are moving one way or another, we started building this platform when it looked like Facebook and Twitter and, you know, Instagram were unassailable, hmm. inevitable, and that that would be the future of everything. And we believed in this model and that the world bends towards decentralization. The world bends towards unique I mean, if you think about it, it's what capitalism should have at yeah. its best. Yeah. And we believed that we would be right, even when it didn't seem like we were. <laughs> and I think that what's exciting to me right now is that certainly over the last six months, especially, the shift and the cultural, economic, and I would even argue political shift that is moving towards a world of a million social networks as opposed to one, I think we can all start to see the path. Hmm. And that to me is in absolutely invigorating. Love it. Gina, I'm such a fan of you and of your company. And I have plans to build some very, very big projects myself on your platform. So Wonderful. We love is, to hear that. Yes, yes, yes. I love your product. So it's an honor to have you on the show. And thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you for having me.
I love it. Well, it was a fantastic interview. We definitely are going to look into that. Anything we can do to build even more community around yeah. our listeners. It also translates into their marketing material being sharper, mm-hmm. their internal communication being more aligned, and increasing revenue. Yeah. So, you know, just you affirm these ideas through community. I got to come to one of the story brand workshops earlier this year. And what I loved is that community component that I actually felt like you know, JJ and Don, not that you guys weren't amazing on stage, but it was actually (laughs) everybody. Thank you. Yeah. It's hard to take your eyes off of us. It's very difficult. I would say the community hardly (laughs) competes. No, I couldn't. It it was riveting. (laughs) No, but what I loved was seeing everybody connect with each other and the relationships that were formed and everyone actually really learned from one another. And I think that's the power of the network. I love it. You guys talk about connecting. Here's a transition for you. Go. There have not been very many people who I've interviewed who I've read their books that I connected so quickly with compared to next week's interview. Yeah. The guy's name is Mike Michalowicz. I actually mean that. I, mean, I know that sounds like a goofy transition, like I forced it. Yeah, yeah. But it's really true. This guy, we were in um, San Antonio, Texas, and I'd read his book, Profit First. So mm-hmm. his whole book is, I think it's foundational. We execute most of the plan here at StoryBrand. But he talks about paying yourself first and then figuring out the finances, budgeting the finances for the company accordingly, rather than at the end of the day, if you have some money left, putting it in your account. It's like and the airplane mask. Get the oxygen yourself first. Get the oxygen first before you yeah. put it on the sales team and the COO <laughs> and the chief of staff. Exactly. <laughs> yourself first. I see the world in metaphor. I'm sorry. <laughs> exactly. We, we actually have an order at StoryBrand that you save Tim's life first and you say, yeah, yeah. no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's on the wall. It's embarrassing, but it's, it works. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> anyway, so Mike McCallowitz wrote a book called Profit First. It isn't just a book about finances. It's a book about life yeah. and priorities in life. And then meeting up with him in San Antonio, he's actually near New England. He's flew in for this thing in San Antonio. He was so fun. I mean, an interview about finance, right? That's actually fun. Yeah. And like most interviews that I do, I just decided to get free consulting. So I said, yeah. okay, here's our situation. <laughs> How do you fix it? Yeah. And I think our situation is going to be the same as many, many of our listeners. But residual and continual economic stress about running your company. Listen to what he's saying. It's so practical. He gets out of the philosophical or the 30,000 foot view really quickly. And he actually says, you need five bank accounts. One of them needs to be at a different bank. Here's how you need to transfer the money. Here's how you need. So literally just wow. grab an, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not kidding. It's one of the most practical interviews you're going to hear. And we've executed, like I said, we've executed about half of it. And then he diagnoses what we haven't executed and tells us why we need to do more. And so much so that we just hired a fractional chief finance officer. We're going to ask him to learn this, to actually figure it out. And this is the system that we want to run. I want to play a little clip of that interview, but you guys have got to hear this interview next week, especially Ali, as you start Copper, as you start your company, it's fascinating. You know, your company is going to be pretty big. You're raising a bunch of money, but it even works for big companies. Anyway, here's a little clip from my conversation with Mike McCallowitz. I share a percentage of profit with my children. So every quarter... Uh, Do they work for the company? No, way? no. But they're investors in it because they support me. I, I'm here today. Because gotcha. uh, they family. let you go. Yeah, they let me go. But it was funny. When I started doing this, my youngest son was nine years old at the time. I'll never forget this. Profit came out. My children all get 1% of the profit. My wife and I share the rest. And um, I go to my son. I give him the profit. He's like, what's this? I'm like, it's our quarterly profit. Next quarter, a nine-year-old, he comes to me and goes, hey, Dad, how's Q3 looking? Right? <laughs> so, so that's the ultimate engagement. To your shareholders. Yeah, it's the ultimate, <laughs> ultimate engagement. 
So if you haven't subscribed to the Building Story Room podcast, you want to make sure you do. That way you don't miss great conversations like this. Mike Michalowicz is up next on the podcast. Guys, wonderful conversation. A lot to learn. Yeah. A lot to execute here. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's new record, Dive Deep, on Spotify or iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business.